Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name's Pip Adam and this is episode 77 um, which makes it the fifth in our 10 part sound series where I talk to writers and artists about their work in relation to sounds they have chosen. So yeah, this is the fifth out of 10 in our sound series. Thank you very much. Woohoo, we made it. And um, thank you incredibly to Creative New Zealand, Toy Aotearoa for um, funding this series. It's been exceptionally fun and yeah I hope that everyone is enjoying it I'm enjoying it um in this episode I talked to Brandon Nangalingam and Tukido Wilson um we spoke over zoom um so the sound will be slightly different in this episode to some of the others that we have filmed uh sorry we have recorded in person although one of the things I'm finding very exciting is that even though Often we're using exactly the same setup, exactly the same equipment. Um, the sound is varying in each of the podcasts, which I actually find quite exciting. Um, yeah, I, I'm very interested in those subtle changes that happen in the atmosphere and get captured on our recording equipment. So, yes, very excited about that. Um, so yeah, we recorded it over Zoom. I was at the Michael King um, Writers Centre um, up in Devonport and I was very grateful for my stay there and um, also um, really thinking of everyone in Tamaki, Makoto. Um, yeah, thank you for all you're doing and yeah, you're awesome. And I miss you all heaps and I'll see you all soon. In this episode, um, Brennivan, um chooses the sound of rain on a roof and um, he found a really nice representation of that um, that's actually on YouTube and you can get a link to that on our website which is better-red.com, better-red.com um, and um, Tokido uh, chose the sound of paper being ripped um, with a twist. So yeah, that recording is actually part of the podcast. Um, thank you Tokido for letting us use that. And it's also on our website, better-red.com. Um, at the end of this episode, I will be offering an exercise, um, which you um, may like to um, use your phone to record or another recording device. Um, we are hoping at the end of these conversations to have an episode where we um, showcase exercises um, so maybe people are willing to send those in. Um, I'm going to broaden the brief even bigger because um, I just suddenly thought maybe I'm being too you know controlling about it. Maybe you have a piece of work that you think sounds interesting and would like to record it and um, send it to us. You are most welcome to do that. We would absolutely love to hear it. Um, I always say we but it's really just me sitting alone in the attic with my dog. So maybe it's my dog is the other part of the we. But yeah if you do have a poem that you really like or a piece of prose that's already existing that you haven't written as a response to the exercises if you wanted to record that and send it we would love to have it as part of um, the showcase at the end so yeah stick around and listen for that exercise it might be interesting for you um, yeah thank you to Brent McIntyre for the music at the start end and middle of the podcast um, thank you also to James Woods who um, has been teaching me heaps about sound and um, yeah it's it's really exciting and I really appreciate his knowledge and energy and um, willingness and ability to hand on um, information, uh, complex information in uh, terms that I can understand. Um, I hope that you're all well. Um, I hope that you enjoy this podcast and thanks heaps. Start 
happen. Okay, I'm just going to clap and hopefully you'll hear it everywhere. Okay, yep. right, we're here. Um, how are you today, Branavan? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having oh. me. Oh, it's very nice to have you here. And um, Toki, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Hey, um, the first thing that I'd like to ask you both to do, if it's okay, is if you could introduce yourselves um, however yeah. you want to introduce yourselves. So, um, who would either of you like to start? Or shall I choose someone? Should we do alphabetical go. order? You go, bro. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm not used to this stuff. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start, especially because it's alphabetical. Um, uh, I'm Fiona Edwin, I'm, I'm Brandon Young Lingham. Um, I'm a novelist based in Wellington. I've just released my sixth novel, Spriggs. Uh, I'm also a failed musician. I wanted to be a, a musician growing up uh, and I didn't think I was good enough, so I became a writer instead. Yo. <laughs> I think there's a bit of that going around. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. Um, Tukirau, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, kia rana. I'm Tukirau Wilson. I'm a artist and musician. Um, I run the Maori Pacifica Goth series, and I'm a, I'm currently doing projects, but also wanting to run a Maori Pacifica Experimental Music Festival that I've been working towards for a while. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks heaps. Um, now, I was wondering, both of you have given us quite cool sounds. Like, um, I just think they're really great. And I wonder, Tuki, do you want to start and just tell us why you chose those sounds? Or maybe describe them as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so I chose paper. Um, sort of like the recording I've given is like ripping paper but as a experimental improv musician or like let's get it out there I don't really like doing music that I've pre-written and then play it again play it again I've done that before but I got sick of it and now I just love improvising so yeah the the thing being with paper it's kind of what you know what do you do with it to make a sound and like what kind of sounds could you make out of it I just did a rip because it was easy um and then you can put it through different effects and so forth I guess I was just thinking of the whole thing of like I'm used to getting quite small say insignificant or very tiny sounds and then you can make, blow it up to make it something massive um or just yeah something very subtle could become something that sounds like the earth exploding <laughs> if you put the right sounds on it. So I guess I was just going for a, just a sound that I, I mean, I love paper too. I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the way those two things come together and that sound like, um, yeah. And like, I was thinking, cause we're talking, this kind of often we talk to writers and stuff it feels real nice to have that connection as well it's such a great noise as well and um brand you've gone relatively um well i don't know do you want to talk about your sound i was about to make a judgment about it but do you want to talk about your sound um my sound is uh rain on a roof um and there's a uh, i'm not sure why i chose it but there seems to be a few kind of connections between the various places i've lived um with that sound um 
So I, I was born in Sri Lanka um, and I was born in the rainy season. And um, there was, I, I, if you ever go to Sri Lanka, it's, you know, it's right by the equator. When it rains, it really does rain. Um, but it doesn't rain for that long. There's a kind of burst and it almost as if it cleanses everything and then you're kind of back to kind of this heaviness. Um, and so maybe there's some sort of weird comfort going back to, to being a, a baby. Um, and then one of my earliest memories in my life is dancing in the rain in Zimbabwe. So we moved to Zimbabwe after Sri Lanka. Um, and then being in New Zealand, um, I my room was next to the conservatory. And I remember sitting in my room as a kind of 11, 12-year-old, just reading and reading and reading. And we had a really wet winter one year. And um, the sound of reading with the rain hitting um, the kind of roof um, has always kind of stuck with me. It's kind of the point where I was like, knew I loved books and knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, so there's a weird kind of um, connection between all those three things, which um, is both comforting, but also kind of slightly strange because there's no geographical link between the three. Um, uh, but they, there's a kind of unification from 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 them all. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking rain is probably something you've experienced a bit of in your life as well, Tuki. Like, I was thinking that sound, I was thinking about Dunedin mainly, but yeah, mm-hmm. do, do you have any memories around that sound? Far when I got to Auckland, though, I was like, oh, I thought you said Dunedin was rainy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got up here and it was raining every, like, day on and off. It's There's that patch where it does it. And I was just like... Far they made it up. Dunedin doesn't have more rain, but um, <laughs> yeah, it is a, such a beautiful sound day. Eh? And like, there's something about it with some. I guess often there'd be like, if it's a tin roof, then there might be a fireplace, and there might be a couple of mates, and it's a pretty special feeling, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, both of you have kind of um, what I found really interesting about listening to both of your sounds is that they're sort of shifted out of their context in a way. Um, and I just wonder, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, what happens to a sound when we listen to it out of the context of it? Like I was thinking I was listening to the rain sound and it wasn't raining. And um, I was also um that paper ripping sound, I feel like I was listening to it in a different way. Like I was really listening and not having the visual as well. Have either of you got thoughts about that? Especially like when you listen to heaps of music and know lots about music and took you make music and you sort of carry it around. Yeah. I don't know. That's a huge question. Have you got any thoughts on any of that lather? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess, with um, the rain being comforting, it's because I'm somewhere safe and warm and hidden away from it. I, I suppose when you kind of decontextualize it, you can it, you kind of put yourself in a different situation from from it. So if you're outside in that rain, it's obviously way less pleasant um, than it would be if you were you're inside. Um, and it's funny when I hear the kind of paper rip and I think of that, I think of work and I think of. Um, <laughs> us trying to like we're sick of this we're just tearing it up and um starting all over again Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's right eh? like the paper shredder or something like (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh i was just thinking how um because your sound is sort of specifically that kind of corrugated iron roof um sound and like it does make me think because you said it's not geographic 
geographically specific that it's um yeah just that those you know where everywhere has corrugated iron or something you know like <laughs> and um sometimes it's like a shed like um in my last fare oh we had a shed out the back that was literally those ones that you build and yep. um you know those sound amazing in the rain and it was super cozy in there but i guess it's cool that your sound has that idea of like you know once you go into the rain you're not hearing that sound anymore mm. you're like in the rain but when you're just uh, protected from it so you've got that protective feeling as well from it of mm. the fare yeah yeah it's um i was thinking that as well like that idea of um like where we are in position to an event changes the way we hear it and um i was thinking talking especially around the the way that you've put those effects on the um on the on the rip of the paper hmm. do you mind talking first of all about what you did to that set? like first of all maybe you might even want to talk about how you recorded the sound and then <laughs> what you did to the sound yeah okay so spoiler is um yeah so this podcast uh contains another podcast that um i was just being sound engineer for with manu and coco the manu and coco podcast mm. So that's, this is where those two podcasts meet, I suppose. Um, I can't get, I can't actually spoil it, but let's just say the rip sound was actually Coco Solid ripping um, a un... We, I, we, I won't say what they were, they were ripping, but it was specific. And um, yeah, it was like you were saying, Brennavin, like a kind of cancellation vibe of like, nah, psh. so um, rip. And then... I, I don't know, I have done performances where I ripped paper into a microphone going through delay pedals, and it just, um, I don't know, like, if the, yeah, like I was saying, like, if the earth was tearing in half, it would, you know, if land was ripping apart like an earthquake, paper is just sort of like a miniature version of that, right? Um, yeah, I guess putting the mic right up to something increases its size even if it's very small. And then, so what I did to the audio was Coco ripped the paper, then I threw um, some delay on it, and that always, that sort of, yeah, I was interested about this idea of when you add delay to something, it, it doubles and triples the sound. And actually, if you're quite far away from a, generally like a reggae, um, music playing when the delay happens you could hear it like three blocks away what the person's saying and everything it's so much louder because it's you can't hear the music but you hear this like go on now dutty wind kind of thing and it's like wow delay really does some magical stuff hey eh? and um i started imagining a future where potentially we got um, reverse effects and we removed delay from like hit tracks and stuff so we could hear the singers singing like quietly with no effects like my dream is one day we, we start removing the effects of old music <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah so I guess I'd just in, to end that little piece of uh, I'd just say that like the other thing I do is I pitch shift the paper ripping down so then it becomes deeper so it's sort of like larger older it just sounds like more i guess like a tree like an ancient 
tree kind of thing. Yeah, like falling far. And um, oh, and I think the last one I reversed the pitch shift down an octave, ripping sound, and that also is kind of cool because you're reversing time. Yeah, I guess as a improvisation artist, I just all those things become part of your collection of tricks you can do and yeah you do them <laughs> can i jump in with a question here pip is that um I'm, I'm kind of interested in terms of how do you know you've got the right rip is it with the rip itself or is it with the effects that you do afterwards yeah it was a really good rip like we had a, <laughs> um we had a really decent microphone um the vibe was good i don't know like that's a really good question but um I actually didn't want to record my own rip because this was from a few nights ago. I'm like, I want to do paper ripping. That one sounded mean, but um, <laughs> it could be, could be, yeah, like, yeah, I guess just record like half an hour and then choose the best one. <laughs> yeah. When I hear um, Toki talking about this ability to manipulate um, things, I get incredibly jealous. Right. Like, I think, you know, like, I'm not wow. sure that we have the same kind of control over language. But what do you, what do you reckon? No, I, and yeah, I'm completely jealous. Because I, so in high school, I played a bit of jazz. And, um, uh, and the thing I loved about improvisation was, Sometimes you do absolutely terrible work, but sometimes you really nail it and you can never recapture it. So there's a real of the moment feeling to it. And as a writer, you don't really get that because there's so much of the editing process, there's so much of the book that's found in the editing process, there's so much that's found in going over and over and over again, um, that I've, you kind of miss that spontaneity and you might get that in the first draft, but by the time your book's ready to be finished, it's gone. Um, or you, you hope you've captured a little bit of it, but... Um, you read it 30 times and you're, you're kind of done with it. Um, so yeah, that's what I, um, I am kind of jealous about that music has that ability just to be so immediate, um, which, which writing as a writer, I find I, I lose a little bit of. Do you ever do oratory, um, improv or like, that's kind of maybe a really weird question, but I know with like, um, that the matching sort of thing with writing is oratory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely don't have that skill. Um, there are some amazing people who um, who do that. Uh, my ability is much more of a working things through and thinking about it. I, I just don't have that skill. I think I'm amazed at people who can do that. They're just absolute geniuses in my mind. Right, because I was just thinking, for me, I actually started, I, I wanted to be a rapper. It was like 1999, and I made a 20-song album. I, was, I wasn't think, yep. I was thinking big. And, um, yeah, it's... It's weird because freestyle is so hard compared to writing raps. And then um, I've, I just see the total correlation. It's like you yeah. can't, like the only reason I could make experimental music and know these things is from a lot of um, doing it. But also, yeah. Um, yeah, like anyone could do it in a way because I'm in the noise music, which is kind of like, yeah, actually this is... Um, for, it was cracking me up thinking about um, me and Coco went to a bunch of uh, Pacific Islands um, last year, oh, the year before last, and um, I was looking for artists, and I was thinking, how do I ask, you know, where's, 
you know, where's some musicians that are making experimental music? And then I was just like, oh, who's the person who's making the most annoying music that no one else likes? <laughs> like, send me to them. I'm going to put them in my show. Because <laughs> that's kind of like the easy definition of art music. It's like, I'm pretty sure a large amount of people have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, it's um, normal to me. But, yeah, I'm just, I was just thinking, like, don't feel too jealous because I'm sure y'all could rule, just jump on my setup with like the pedals and what I do isn't actually necessarily ex uh, exclusive to school. It's actually more like having the tools and wanting to do it. Yeah. Mm. That, um, that idea of music that isn't, um, I don't know, like I never know how to talk about it. Some people would say it's not as easily accessible you know, some, sometimes it feels a little harder to listen to. I feel like, um, Bran, you're not completely um, a stranger to this kind of music. Like when I think of, um, you know, like the bands that have played at your launches and stuff. And I wonder, do you think, um, one of the things I really recognize in your work as well is that you're, you are not afraid to keep looking when maybe other people would have turned away. And I just wonder, do you think there's a connection between this sort of, you know, interest in bands that are perhaps louder or more discordant or that kind of thing and this ability to keep writing the things that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I love dissonance. Uh, I love um, awkwardness. I love um, uh, just things which make people kind of have that physical reaction to it. And and definitely that grew that grew from music from which I mean, I grew up listening to Sonic Youth and Mertz Bow and um, the kind of touchstones, I guess, of of, of noise. But also because I I love melody as well. So I love mm. I've always loved that kind of contrast between between the two um and then just kind of i've i've hated the idea of ever being closed off to any form of music so i've always wanted to uh i guess force myself to listen to stuff that might make me feel uncomfortable because it's it does certain things to your thinking and it kind of changes your your framework so for sure and i i that that i think has definitely influenced my my writing because i um love the kind of textures and structures that you get from that kind of music because I think uh, it, it, it does give you a different way of looking at the world. Mm. And I'm really interested in you talking about like this, I would, I don't know what the word is, but I guess it's visceral response. Does that mean, you know, like you feel it in your body kind of. And I was wondering, um, you know, like I was thinking about the rain that you chose and like I was thinking about Sodden Downstream and, yeah. you know, like the rain that's there. And I'm wondering, um, yeah, I'm wondering about capturing sound and experience in a way. And, and that's what I think is interesting because the track that you chose is actually like a, it's sort of a meditation tape. It's supposed to help lull you into the sleep. And I just yeah. wonder about rain as this object in writing rain. Yeah. Have you, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I, I think maybe with Sodom, it was kind of that idea of being inside or outside um, was the kind of key idea for the, the book that see to the, the, um, the cleaner had to get to work so she had to be in the rain whereas everyone else who could hide from it were the ones thinking it was a comfortable sound whereas for her it was just the the weight and the heaviness of having to walk in it um was 
was the kind of complete opposite. Um, and um, I guess I didn't really think about it in the sound. I thought it more of a kind of a feeling um, and uh, the kind of touch, the tactile side of, of Rain when, when I was thinking about Sodom. Um, but um, it was definitely a, a, a part of it. And, and this idea of Rain and um, where you are in relation to it was, was, a, was a big factor. Yeah, yeah. And um, Tuki, I was thinking, you know, this idea of um, comfort, discomfort, this line, <laughs> am I going to say between pleasure and pain? Yeah. But I'm just thinking often when we are experimenting and improvising and using these noises, there is sort of a breakthrough point in the body, eh? Like where things are, I was just thinking of some of those um you know, even with the sound you sent, like you, there's there's a there's this really strange push pull where you want to sort of turn it down or move away, but also if you sit in it, it moves beyond that. Have you got any thoughts on that in your work? Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. I I find that like it's probably a bit of a conversation in say noise music or art music or whatever you want to call it actually a lot of people don't like the names um <laughs> i like just being clear that i'm improv because uh that's definitely what buzzes me out about it but um yeah i'm trying to think because to me this is the thing there is a kind of conceit in it because if i'm playing music depending what what I love about um, in Aotearoa, the, the scene, is that there's so many genres, there's so many subsets and so many things people might be into. For example, um, the last um, gig I played was um, with um, Beth, Duckling Monster, and like her set was like just a bit more badass and a bit more abrasive, and it's kind of her comfort zone, and she is a monster, like... She's a real um, talent, and that's like, I really love listening to it, but I would say I'm more of a, um, I kind of enjoy the smooth sonic journey, which is kind of, well, you know, smooth being like, that's what I'm saying, the conceit is, are you really about it? Because actually, I don't want people to be going ah and leaving but I've been in bands that were incredibly discordant and that was kind of maybe a bit more punk and fun but in my own like music I probably would say I leaned more towards a psychedelic journey or uh, something a bit more surreal but not necessarily unpleasant and like I guess I'd just say you're pushed towards that um, when, um, did you say Mirzbo before, like when, um, KG Haino come to Port Chalmers, I didn't go, but I heard it was so loud that people just went outside because you could still hear it fine. And it was blistering and I bet that it damaged people's ears. Like, <laughs> yep. you know, it was blistering. They got a really big sound system for a small space and that kind of thing. It was crazy. So I, I guess I'd just say there's a spectrum and, um, there are no rules like with noise music, but it's not necessarily, I guess like if there's three bands, you just go outside. If you don't like that band and you come back in for the <laughs> next band and that's normal as like, that's great. You know? 
Yeah, I really love that idea of hearing it from outside as well. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't help thinking, Tuki. Um, I was remembering. Um, I think it's you. It was part of that exhibition in Dunedin, where you had the sleeping bag on the side of the road, and then I think there was a. Uh, is that yeah? And there was a stuffed toy inside it. Hmm. Eh? Yeah. And like that. I mean, that kind of aesthetic. I really love the way what you do in sound also translates to what you do visually. It, could you talk a little bit about that? You know, like the way there's, is there a crossover or yeah? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Um, a little crossover just in that, like um, the band, like, like Brandon having crazy bands playing at the opening or the, yeah, that's kind of my thing too. If I have an exhibition, I want, some weird ass shit playing and um yeah that was a really that was a really tender um artwork I did it was quite I didn't expect to be so moved to pretty much tears but um so I had this idea because homelessness in Dunedin's almost invis completely invisible people don't they might do it now but back then like five years ago people don't like big on the street and so forth there there is actually a really big homeless pr problem there but people just for politeness sake I guess just hide away um so anyway I just made a work that was um clothes from an op shop with rolled up cardboard stuffed in it so it looked like a person in a sleeping bag and then I put a teddy bear in the head so if you look closely in the hoodie of the person was a teddy bear's face and no one looked. People were literally standing right over this thing looking down. And they did not notice that it was not real. And everyone gave money and food. <laughs> it was like, it was so moving. It was like, the first day was maybe like 100 or 200 people interacting with this um, homeless person's sculpture. And leaving money and food for it. It was pretty moving. I felt guilty as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, and it got the message across. And actually, a really funny side effect was the council and the police both got in touch with me. The police actually came and pulled it apart because they thought it was a dead person. Um, then the council came and said, "Could you put up a sign saying it's an artwork?" And I'm like, "It was me oh. who was the artist." But I was like, "I'm, you know, as the curator of the show, uh, the artist would not be comfortable with that." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> did, they, did they put it back together, the police? Yeah. They kind of laughed too. They like pulled it off and then they laughed. But it was, okay, let, let me put it another way. It was very suspicious. There was an upcoming conference in Dunedin. The, they wanted to move them on. Like, um, no shit. They wanted to tidy up the damn streets. So anyway, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Man, that is full on. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, Branavan, you also in your work, um, kind of, there's this intersection. That's why I was so excited for you two to talk. Like, there is this intersection between kind of, um, yeah, but putting things um, in a place where people can see them. And, you know, that I feel like that sculpture is also quite an interesting kind of way into your work as well. And, I was thinking that so often for me that does come 
through dialogue or sound. Like I was thinking particularly in Spriggs of that first scene in the um, in the changing room and, and the speech that it starts off with. It starts with the speech, doesn't it, with, with yeah. the coach. And I'm just wondering, do you think like you, you capture something of the tone and the politics and everything there, but then you render it and like, you know, like these black marks on a white page kind of thing. And I just wondered, do, do you think you listen in a particular way when people talk or yeah, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I love uh, dialogue um, and conversation and um, I am a, yeah, I, I was trying to figure out where I, that came from and I expect even from a kid, cause I moved here when I was three. So I was always kind of deciphering a couple of cultures. I was trying to figure out what is the right way to talk depending on circumstance. And I think it's a very common thing for the kind of 1.5 generation immigrants, kids to kind of have to do that because you, you might hear something from your parents. And if you repeat that in, um, in a Pakeha context, then, then you might get teased or, or vice versa. Um, so you spend a lot of time as a young kid really kind of working on social cues via conversation and, and, and dialogue. Um, so maybe that might be part of it. Um, another thing, I spent pretty much my 20s transcribing a lot of interviews. Um, it was before um, any kind of trans- transcription software. I did a lot of interviews for the Lumia Radio and for Under the Radar and, um, and the Dominion Post and so a bunch of sources. And so I would just sit there and just like listen to uh, and type out the way people talk after I've done the interviews. And so I, I guess, got a, a real sense of people's rhythms and and dialogue that way too. Um, but also I just love kind of hearing people. I And that could be my, I guess, the kind of, again, musical training, because music was my big kind of thing in my my teenage years. Um, it's just that I, I love dialogue. I love the way people communicate. I love the way that signifies a whole bunch of different things in society, class, ethnicity, um, uh, social status, everything like that. Um, and when I write dialogue, I hear it in my head um, and I hear the people where I give it to a person who completely unrelated to that character and I have them kind of, would they be saying it like this? Um, and that's kind of how I often kind of work with dialogue too. So yeah, it's definitely a big part of what I do. And I, I've never written it from a literary perspective or we've kind of written it from a kind of oral perspective what will what will it sound like what will make sense from um from my ear and i guess um like going back to that stuff Toki was talking about with effects like i was thinking that sometimes we um you know we'll pump uh, pump up kind of or or sort of um you know like emphasize or make stronger certain rhythm effects or stuff like that and i was just wondering um I don't know how to put this and I'll probably say it the wrong way, but I'm wondering, I, I, I mean, when you look back to really early D.H. Lawrence and there's those, those really interesting kind of um, colloquial rendering of, um, you know, like minors accents and stuff like that. And I'm wondering, you often are portraying a diverse group of people and I'm wondering about decisions you make around how to render that on the page. Like, yeah, have you got any thoughts on that? It, it, I mean, it's really complicated, um, uh, and I also acknowledge that there'll be times where I just where I get it wrong, or where I might kind of not quite get the rhythms right. Uh, I also kind of maybe it's in part because I've um, my background is kind of crossing a variety of different boundaries anyway. Um, so I had the the kind of different 
ethnic backgrounds, but also I grew up in Nainai, which is very working class, very um, kind of different to the kind of school I went to and the university environment that I was in. So I was always kind of surrounded by lots of different voices, lots of different accents, lots of different um, ways of speaking. Um, or also even like one of the things that I was really interested in Spriggs was the way guys often talk about things when they're in a group of guys versus where they might be if there's women in the group or where if there are adults in the group. You know, you kind of change your the way people talk. People change the way they talk depending on their social circumstance. Um, so I was kind of really, really conscious of that. And so all of those things kind of feed into um, feed into that kind of, I guess, quite diversity of accents and voices that I um, that I have in my in my writing. Yeah, and um, I think yeah, it, it really. I think it's one of the like. There's lots that's awesome about your books, but I think that is one of the things that I love so much is the way often. Um, you know, people, I mean, even in Spriggs, you've got different people. I think we even talked about that, how great sport is for sort of bringing together a whole group of people. And it's not quite the utopia it hopes it would be. Um, Tuki, I was wondering, I don't even know if this is a segue or whether it's not very clever if it is a segue. I was, I'm really interested in this idea of um, Māori Pacifica Gothic. And I wonder if, I don't know, like, is it something you'd be willing to sort of, like, maybe talk about yeah. now? Like, have you got thoughts on it? Oh, easy, yeah. It's just, um, it's funny because it was born out of me wanting to um, get involved more in, I guess, running th things instead of being the powerless artist to kind of get that power of curating events. Um, also, there was a bit of a hiccup because it's like I go to do that and it's like well I already knew that just all the fundings for traditional arts and it's like I'm a contemporary artist I love like weird shit underground comics and whatever Japanese horror films or whatever it's not like um and even if I did do traditional Rarotong and art it's like is that the only reason you're going to give me some money like come on so um initially it was like what if I get a group of like-minded Māori and Pacifica artists and kind of lift that voice so the voice ended up being gothic contemporary which was um it wasn't really that big a deal but it was just like it just seemed a little bit more interesting than just contemporary I was definitely not gonna like if someone had rainbow colors in their work I wasn't gonna be that is not gothy enough it wasn't like <laughs> anything about that it was just to give it more um cohesiveness I guess and what was really buzzy and quite moving is that it is a damn genre even though I kind of picked it out of the hat made it up it is a damn genre um I mean yeah, all the all the stories and myths. Um, generally, there's violence, death, and destruction <laughs> of like you know lovers torn apart and and uh, I don't know. Like um, I've been getting into I've been researching a lot of Cook Island myth and um, so, there was something like the the um, missionaries edited out a bit where there was feces eaten by rats, so they just made rats <laughs> appeared 
won't mention the feces. And I was kind of, I'm quite interested in that tidying up of myths. Um, I'm going off topic a little, but yeah, just those tidying up of um, our stories and, you know, um, what was the real stories? I actually found out recently that um, Greek myth was often thrust upon the myth, whereas I always thought, well, we must have gone to Greece or something like, wow, it's the story of Echo. <laughs> wow, that's so similar to the story of Echo. And it's like, nah, that story was already ours and Greece's and then missionaries come along and, and kind of, I'm, I'm going to keep researching, but I'm telling y'all, heaps of these myths have been jacked and changed to be just like a Greek myth. So um, anyway, back to, the, back to the question. I don't know, like there's a lot of, let's say, down-pressed, um, unhappy brown people in Aotearoa because there's problems with racism in this country, there's problems with identity and all sorts of things. And so all these contemporary artists have a gothic, like, just by chance, that we're exploring pains and traumas or, or we're just, like, into dark stuff. And, um, yeah, so the whole thing with that project is... Um, I did it for three years, it was a roaring success, and then I just wanted to do experimental music for a shift, and I'm bloody still here trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should go back and do another Māori Pacifica goth exhibition, because the shit pops off, but the thing is, I'm like in a diff. you know, I'm, you know, when you try and put your energies elsewhere... I've just been, mm. maybe feel a little bit sidelined. Even even COVID, I was like, I literally just put in this funding round and then it's like, we're returning everyone's funding rounds because of COVID. And then I'm like, true, I can't bring people from other Pacific Islands to Aotearoa right now. It's not the best time for this. So yeah, I'm still going to keep working towards it. But I think Māori Pacifica goth um, art is just it is a genre that I just pulled out of the hat but then I was like god damn I'm getting so many people wanting to be in this there is 30 40 100 artists out there you know so um <laughs> yeah man it's so cool it's so exciting and you know like I guess um sorry this is going to be so obvious and I've talked to you so many times about this Brand, you're probably bored but I mean I wonder like I've often thought of Lawrence and Gibson as liking a, a recording label you know in a way because I feel like there is there is an aesthetic similar to what Toki's talking about you know like there is this aesthetic and I wonder what if you had to give it a genre do you think that there's a genre that it would fall into like I don't know, or or like, do you think about aesthetic as far as the people that you know um, you publish? I don't know. Um, we would try to say no, but I think it does end up being that way because it's often people that you know or people you've got some sort of connection with via an artistic sense anyway. So they often end up being similar. Though I think there's quite a big difference between say Redian's book and Thompson's book for example, um, but there's a kind of shared camaraderie uh, around ideas and, um, and critiques. Um, I, in terms of, I mean, I, Murdoch from down south, he, um, when he started it, he also started with Matt Davis, who's 
part of Flying Nun. Um, I suspect the Flying Nun Expressway kind of model was part of the part of the thinking, no doubt. Um, and within that, you've got plenty of scope for um, for difference in terms of the works that come out. But there's also a real sense of uh, let the artists kind of do their thing and then have a relatively light-handed approach to um, to the rest of it um, compared to kind of, I suppose, many other publishers. Um, so yeah, I, I, that would be probably, the, I think, the closest point of comparison, I, I, I think. But um, I don't know if there's any kind of formal manifesto or formal idea as <laughs> to how Lawrence Gibbs should operate. But yeah, you're, prob you're probably right in that music and music labels um, yeah, do have an influence. But also, to be honest, I, I don't know much about kind of small presses historically and whether, you know, we're just kind of doing exactly the same as um, what was done in, in the past. I do think it's interesting because sometimes we do use these words from sound, like we talk about voice, you know, like we, and, and stuff like that. And I think it's, 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 I don't know. It, it interests me, this idea. Yeah. Of, um, do, and I like the way you're talking about how maybe it's more about process rather than, you know, voice, if you know what I mean. And that made me start thinking a little bit about technology and about how, you know, do it yourself or do it with others, you know, like, cause I'm 150 years old, you know, when I was young, that meant breaking into someone's office and photocopying, or it meant, um, you know, like getting a small cassette recorder or an eight track and having it in your bedroom kind of thing. But Tuki, I mean, like, I can see a little bit of the equipment around you and I'm just thinking how much is access to technology making possible what you do, do you think? Um, that's a real good point. Like I actually I have I've had this whole imposter syndrome because like I um was able through some work to get some better gear than what I had already recently and I was thinking, damn, if someone walks in here they're just gonna think I'm like you know, I just got this stuff. Oh, you're so sorted, bro. And it's like, nah, it's taken me 40 years to get here. Like, I've been struggling with the crappiest drum machines and the crappiest, like, since for a long time. And now I've got some good ones. I just feel like I've seen, I've done seen my friends and flatmates have like a million of these things and then just sell them again and get a new one. I haven't been able to do that. So I do think technology is a bit of a gatekeeper for sure. And like, um, yeah, I guess I wish more people would have access to the stuff in a way because um, that's all you need. Like when I went to Holland um, 2006, I um, remember I saw some, I went to kind of like an Utrecht, like it was a light and sound festival thing. And like one of the acts was two little, like maybe 12 year old kids playing techno you know playing techno jumping up and down on the stage and I was like this is like in New Zealand kids got a drum kit and a guitar and an amp in Holland they got a drum machine and a synth this is the you know and now that's come here like now we've I mean it's still one of the more expensive places to buy that gear like you know that that in Holland you'd be like oh sweet I'll pick one up but here you're like there's one in the whole country <laughs> But yeah, no, like those kids grow up learning that synth stuff young and I guess, 
yeah um i wish that was more normal here maybe it is becoming more normal i feel like it's going more towards just push a button like i mean i feel i'm like old, old 100 years old too i'm like you're really djing but you didn't mix the tracks together g you just like stopped that track and started the next track like what the hell this is like you've just lost the whole art form on my you know what i'm used to right there like far out but yeah, I'm I'm old and grumpy. <laughs> Not that grumpy. But I do love I do love that people can get stuff on their iPhone or you know like get stuff app, yeah. apps and so forth, and they can actually do a lot without as much. So I do love the evening out thing that happened. Even just like anyone can download a film. I reckon that's important. Like if it gets so elitist that you know some people can't see a film, that is the kind of world I don't want to be in. Like, come on. Got to, everyone's yeah. got to have access and then when you can't afford it you do you like pay for it yeah I really like that and Brandon it was making me think um you know like you've written about film you've written about music and I remember hearing once and I just don't know how I feel about it that maybe writing is one of the more I don't know what the word is like more democratic of the arts because all you need is pen and paper but um, this idea of technology as a gatekeeper is not as straightforward as all that. But I just wonder, like that stuff Tookie's talking about, do you have any thoughts about that, you know, writing compared with film or, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, I think the the tools for for actually writing something is much, is much easier than film and music. But the whole other industry around it is so... Is is the problem like the the gatekeepers, the distribution, the um, the cultural capital, the education, all of that stuff is just as segregated, just as difficult and problematic as um, as any other kind of art form. So, yeah, anyone can sit down and write something, but um, who's going to read it? Um, there's all these kind of things in the way which which w- w- will stop that. I mean, I I wrote my book in 2009. It took me two years to find Murdoch to to get it out. Um, and yeah, I, 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 and obviously now there are more kind of, there are other ways of, of distribution, which I changed things like Lani went uh, young has kind of talked a lot about what she's done to kind of get books out, which has been, um, which has been really great. But um, I still think there's, there are issues which, um, which means that we can't say that, that writing is, is some sort of kind of egalitarian democratic um, art form because because it isn't yeah I really like sorry I know that it feels like we've gone on this big tangent but I really like the way we started talking about amplification and effects and kind of I feel like what we're talking about now is amplification of voice through publication and distribution and stuff like that and I think it's it's really interesting to think about those two things together for me you know because I think that in a way I do have this I don't know what you call it, like image in my head that, you know, when I go to a bookstore, it feels like voices calling out to me and it's interesting to see what's prefaced and what's not prefaced. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, getting to bookstores for, for a writer, for example, is, is extremely tough. Um, Amazon might allow for distribution easier, but it's also, it's Amazon. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it, it's hard. I saw a thing saying that the, um, Oh, it was like a bookstore saying, if you don't buy it from me, 
because you're saying I charge too much, it's like those companies are selling the books at a almost at a loss because they sell a whole lot of other products in the bookstore saying, you know, come you know, don't don't hassle me. They weren't saying come here and buy it though. It's like don't hassle me about it. it's cheaper on Amazon. And I never knew that. I was so damn shocked. I was like, You mean to say Amazon makes twenty cents for the sale of a book? Twenty cents? What the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dodgy as and it feels like I mean it's really interesting because I feel like um I don't even know, this is probably way too controversial, but I feel like um, books are getting to a point where music got to quite a few years ago, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like this, yeah, I, I feel like for ages, um, the book industry was kind of like, <laughs> you know, watching the music industry kind of spiral. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because I guess we're finding new way sustainability, I guess, is what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, how how do you you know, like, how do you make it possible for the biggest amount of people to be able to, uh, uh, you know, um, create, you know, and I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's also complicated too, because I guess writing and books also have this kind of alternative model of libraries and um, and this kind of idea that you pass books around your friends and all that sort of stuff, which has always been there as well, 20th century, I guess, um, of alternative ways of books being disseminated. Um, so that yeah, it's a hard one. I have no real idea of um, what it means or what the future will hold, but um, it's got to be. There's got to be some way in which. Um, yeah, it's pretty creepy because they're trying to like shut libraries and stuff in a way. Like you've seen it yeah. happen a million times, and it's just like um, nothing compares to a book. Like yeah, when I you know we're always looking at screens. It's messing with our eyes and our spatiality. Like books are beautiful objects and so forth. <laughs> There is a yeah. bit of an equalizer, like, I mean, people can publish online now, but, like, similar to streaming, it's really problematic, or, yeah, you can get flooded, and also people can write absolute trash, and there's no, there's nothing, like, saying, oh, yeah. by the way, this book's pretty trash, but, you know, like, it's just, I guess, an open market or so something, it's not like, um, yeah, who's going to aggregate and put together the good ones online, you know? Yeah. yeah it's really tricky and then you might want a hey, real um, book made because that's the real shit <gasps> <laughs> the real shit um what's the real shit as far as music goes is it um is it a file on our phone or is it like where, where do it like mm. i know there's been a lot of fetishization around um vinyl but i'm just wondering i don't know like do you do either of you look back and think oh that was that was a time where I had a beautiful object that played me beautiful noise. Like, is it vinyl? I don't know. I saw a couple of cassette tapes the other day and I got all. Like, I still, I still got everything out. Like I got, I, I'd say the most, the thing that I never really open or go into is CDs. So I've got like a suitcase mm. of CDs and I've got a CD player still. They don't use them. Then there's like a box of, um, I got a box of tapes, um, tapes, still pretty cool like it just has a cool sort of certain type of sound but I guess I'm not really playing the tapes and then I guess it's yeah I say I've got like tourney set up and it's the first time in a long time I've been able to set them up had enough space 
and a really funny thing happens of like I'll be playing records and I'll play records all afternoon and it does it is really special and better but then sometimes I'll just be like damn it finished again uh, maybe I'll just put <laughs> the same album on Spotify and then I won't have to think about it ending and I'm like this is bad bro you just gotta go like keep turning the damn things over it's good for you like you got up from your desk for a minute you know <laughs> well as an improviser how do you feel the best way to capture your music um is there a kind yeah that's a good question i guess like i feel like it's quite um funny because the very best performances always don't get recorded you're like you, you go and the button wasn't pushed or whatever like and, and you're like oh my god that was the best but um yeah often like it is really hard because i'll be thinking about everything but recording when i'm playing and um I mean, I should probably just get a Zoom or something. Um, a friend that I've been jamming with, Justin Taulu and Rochelle, I don't know Rochelle's last name, um, and we will just record on her Zoom recorder. And then I was like, that's pretty cool. I definitely think just having something that records on the fly when you're not thinking about it is ideal. Yeah. Yep. But it is hard to know when to press record because prior to this, I would just record everything and not do anything with heaps of it and it just ends up being a bit of a burden of like i just have like years of stuff that i haven't done anything with so yeah i don't know what the answer so, is this <laughs> this idea of it being ephemeral like sort of um being gone i just find it so exciting like i was thinking about the body as a recording device you know like i was thinking um i saw a concert a couple of years ago and it was so loud that um like everything was reverberating like i could feel my eyeballs sort of moving and stuff like that and i remember the sounds of that night but i think i remember that feeling in my body more and when i look back on concerts from years ago i don't know like it's kind of interesting you're right What's like our body point? gets all scars and different things and it's like a recording that's so true yeah what's your best concert you ever went to Bran? <laughs> just to put you on the spot Ooh. best <laughs> concert sheesh i know oh. this is a hard one i mean i've seen thousands of bands live um, yeah i've got a good question to lead into it if you didn't Yay. choose a sound what would be your like song if you'd chosen a song instead oh that's a much better question. Just like, what do you reckon? Probably because, yeah, I just because I I can think I, I think I know what one I would choose. <laughs> what would you choose? And um, it was and it's only of... for today. No one's going to be judged. Like it's just for today. <laughs> Tuki, what would you have chosen? Oh, what I thought Brandon's going to choose. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you thought you knew, and then that'll give. Brandon oh yeah, yeah, time. it'll give you time. Okay, well I um often and it's really crazy because it's still cool it's just still the coolest fucking album it's like um the whole album of future sound of london um with the little, with the girl on the cover uh i can't remember what it's called <laughs> is it cities or something um i can't remember <laughs> it is like psychedelic i'm really not sure how they made it but um Oh, Life Forms, the album Life Forms. It's a great psychedelic chill out in the bath or just chill out end of the day or just like I need to meditate, but I can't do that, so I'm just going to put this on real loud. <laughs> it's still a great album anyway. 
Awesome. Oh my God, that's such a good one. I've got I've got an answer to the two questions. Um, wow. So song, <laughs> it would be the drums on Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Um, just, I mean, that A, that wall of sound, but also just the way the drums work in it. It's just mm. absolutely perfect. Um, and best live performance, I think I'd have to say when I saw Are You Crazy play at Caroline, I think it was, um, about three or four years ago, and there were about 20 people there. And she didn't care at all and just absolutely ripped it up um, and really kind of buried into you um, when she was performing. Uh, and again, that kind of perfect example of that kind of the darkness, but also melody and um, just sheer intensity. So, uh, I mean, I've seen lots of amazing artists and lots of big international acts and all that sort of stuff, but that one still kind of, for me, is, um, is, is up there. Did you did you write about that, Brett? I didn't. No. No. I might Can have you, that, yeah. As we're ending, we're we're coming into landing. Mm. We're just starting our descent. Um, can you talk just for a minute, Branavan, about um, like writing about music, like yep. maybe the place of the journalist or the reviewer, and maybe just if that is hard or if it is easy, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's really hard. And I also think when I predominantly wrote about music, I was quite naive about writing about music and I was quite naive about power structures. I was naive about my role as a critic. You know, I was like a 18, 19 year old when Pitchfork started. And so you kind of have this idea of this is what music journalism is. It's meant to be, um, yes, it's good or no, it's bad. Mm. Um, And I'm only kind of later towards the when I kind of started stopping writing about music was kind of thinking about, well, actually one of the things that I find really fascinating is contextualizing what the artist is trying to do, contextualizing music. And that probably came about because I also, um, I used to tutor and occasionally lecture it back in the popular music papers. Um, and I did that for four years um, and kind of thinking about music in that context and thinking about the way music fits in society and technology and all that sort of stuff. I found, much more interesting and a much more interesting way to kind of get into music um, and talk about music. But by that point, when I had that kind of different framework, I was, it was way too late for me to, to, um, well, I'd kind of stopped writing music and I'd kind of moved away from that. So some regrets about the way I wrote about music and the way I thought about how music should be written about. Um, But it is difficult because I think um, there is so much, there is so much this idea of yes, it's good or no, it's bad when that's, I'm kind of a meaningless framework for most art, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that was a real cultural thing of the time, eh? Like it was sort of like a, um, especially when you think about Pitchfork, it felt like a taste-making, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like it felt like, yeah, like, am I cool, am I not cool kind of thing. Which yeah, is and it also weird. really privileged that kind of like hate review and that idea that, because um, uh, one thing I'm also very conscious of is you might dislike something at the time, but it might linger with you. It might there might be something you learn from it, um, or vice versa. You think at the time it's incredible, but then afterwards you're like, oh, hmm. um, yeah. So, kind of thinking about other ways of um, uh, of music uh, is was something I kind of I think people should be kind of thinking about, but it also makes it really difficult to write about. Yeah. Um, speaking about these ideas of kind of um, moving in and out of fields, 
Um, Tuki, I just, I did want to ask you about the animation work you do. Like, um, yeah. you've done animation work sort of for, um, um, you know, for sound pieces, but also you've done work on um, Aroha Bridge. And I just wonder, that idea, it feels like Branavan trying to write about music, it sounds very similar sort of to have sound and pictures together. You know, it's an interesting kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like an interesting, um, you know, like it, 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 it's, it, it's an interesting sort of coming together and interpretive almost sort of idea. Mm. Do you have any thoughts about that? you know, like your work that you've done there? Yeah, because I, I remember you, you were asking this question um, on the notes of, like, what you might ask. And, yeah, it is a really funny thing of, like, um, lip-syncing um, the characters to the audio. Um, yeah, the funny thing, I guess, for me is, like, it is way harder than I ever imagined because... Um, now when I watch cartoons, I'm, I'll be like, hey, their mouth only opened and closed a few times. That's not even, oh, hello. <laughs> New guest on the <laughs> <Radio> show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, just that feeling. Oh, um, you know, it makes you um, really critique other cartoons, lip syncing and how that, yeah, generally, often, it's pretty basic. So anyway, the lip-syncing on Aroha Bridge is like, um, there's nine mouth shapes classically, and then you just flick between them for each mouth shape. I thought there'd be like 30 or 40 or 50 mouth shapes, but there's like nine shapes for that our mouths make. So that was kind of a revelation. Um, yeah. I'm kind of like, in terms of that question, I'm a bit like, do you mean, like, do you want me to talk about lip syncing or do you want me to talk about some other aspect of it? <laughs> um, I um, I was thinking along the lines of, like, when the script is read and you record it, mm. how do you then make decisions about who's standing where or who's mm. sitting down or what they're doing while they're talking, that kind of thing? Is, it, is, it, is the script written that... Um, and I guess, you know, what I'm trying to do is get two answers for the price of one, because I'm also interested, like, if you have music and you want to put images together, mm. it, it seems like one of the few places in life where the sound pushes the picture rather than the picture pushing the sound. But yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. what, do you have thoughts on that? Right. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Like it's definitely, a, um, well, it's interesting with Aroha Bridge, the the actors do get a little bit of like free license so they can improvise lines and those lines often make it into well no they don't often make it in but if they're good they make it into the show and it's literally on like yeah Madeline Sami or Scotty Cotta just just said something and it just popped off and so they'll just chuck it in um so then we come to the next part of the process I guess let me put it this way I was just like the I feel like lip syncing is no, uh, I don't mean any shade, but it's quite lowly on the on the rungs because you're just like grinding out the stuff. But quite often you don't even get to see where the characters are on the room. It's just their mouths is all that you kind of are focused on and they might just be standing in a room if you're lucky, but it's just their, kind of their head and their mouths moving. And then later 
the magic of showbiz. <laughs> they attach that head to a body and it moves around the room and stuff as well. And then um, at the very end of the Aroha Bridge process, um, Simon Ward like got me to do a few like eye movements and stuff. So I got to do some kind of like sassy eye rolls and eye expressions. So that was kind of like, you know, going up the rungs of the ladder to more complex subtleties and so forth. And then... Um, on the other hand, like Kenny doing like, um, there's a bit where Aroha is a sea slug and well, she has all these tentacles waving and that's like complicated animation, you know? So that's sort of like, if I stick around, maybe I'll get to do that one day, <laughs> make the sea slug costume move. But <laughs> It is so interesting, eh? Like I just, um, I, I think that since I've been recording the podcast and thinking about sound, I've been watching film in a different way, you know, like you start to realize that so much of it is, um, what's the word I'm looking for is kind of illusion. Yeah. Um, Branavan, do you mind if I ask, this is probably like, I mean, I think this will be one of our last questions. I am just wondering around the idea of, um, sound and film. Like I, um, I was watching, um Solaris the other day and I mean that that wonderful film that you recommended to me which has now left my mind but you know this idea of the illusion of sound and film and I just wonder you have an interest in music and then you also have written reviews of film and stuff and I'm just wondering yeah I don't know it's such an open-ended question but is there anything you'd like to say about sound and film yeah well um sound is one of the things you learn at film school is um, you can get away with bad visuals as long as your sound is good, but you can't get away with bad sound if your visuals are good. Um, so sound is extremely important because that kind of creates the illusion of realism um, for a lot of people, or you can use it for kind of expressionistic um, points of view. And, and, you know, you kind of learn the Italian approach, the neorealism neo approach of recording all in the studio while filming on the street yeah. and how artificial that that actually sounds in, in real life, but also had that kind of effect of almost being able to make films on the fly and how important that was at the time. Um, yes, yeah, so the the development of film was really, really importantly tied into the development of sound. When I mean, you had the kind of talk, the talkies, be able to film um, documentaries, um, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's super important. And it's, um, I think one of the more underrated parts of, of film. Um, and yeah, I, I, it, it's a big part of my watching experience is, is, is the sound and how music is used. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of singing in the rain. Like um, when I first saw that whole, that, you know, obviously I was making light of that and the whole, yeah. like, she's going, no, no, no. But the guy's moving because it got out of sync. That was just yeah. like, I know it's quite slowed for these days, but I've, I really vibed with that movie. I was just like, how have I not yeah. seen this? This is kind of hilarious and brilliant. Yeah the power of sound coming into film and actually another good example is Roy Orbison and Elvis. Like suddenly you can see this guy and he looks a bit more handsome than Roy Orbison. So yeah. Wow. To some people. I was going to say, mm. <laughs> we could have a bit of a fight about that. Hey, um, I'm finishing each one of these with a question, which you don't have to answer, which is just the last thing you listen to. Like, um, was it a sound? Was it a song? I don't know. People are looking at their um, things to see what their last thing they listened to was. Any thoughts, anybody? Last thing I listened to was uh, Slint Spiderland. 
um, because I'm currently reading uh, Dance Prone by David Coventry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's amazing at right at capturing the rhythms of sound. Um, and I'm, so I'm really enjoying that. And he he just mentioned Slint in, in passing. And so I was like, yep, I'm just going to listen to his album uh, while I read it. So that's the last thing I listened to. And uh, I, I mean, it was almost kind of the perfect album for what we've been talking about because it's got that kind of textured and uh, yeah, the drift of it. It's, it's, it's great. Such a great album. Tuki, what about you? Um, well, um, I was going to say I was listening to Shiny, a K-pop band, because Coco and Manu went down a really big wormhole that they both liked K-pop between 2000 and 2014, or something like that. I, let's say I after the 20th K-pop song, I had to leave the room. But um, <laughs> Shiny... It, it's crazy because it's um, Teddy Riley did the production for them for a certain album, and it's the same, you know, the same producer as Michael Jackson, uh, but with K-pop. And it, and it's funny. I think um, I was gonna say there's a buzzy other thing though. A song that I've been listening to is that um, Savage Love, the Josh Six Eight Five, the you know Pacifica on top of the world right now. That song is number one on Spotify right now. Pacifica, stand up. Choo! <laughs> and um, <laughs> even though it's kind of a crazy song with a little bit of a, in terms of like a TikTok craze and then Jason Derulo sort of acquired it and so forth. I'm just proud for this bro in South um, Auckland, like doing so well, like great. Like even though... Um, I find, like, I'm like, well, that song's out of it that it got so big, but <laughs> it's a cool, like, kind of a knock. Yeah, but um, no, I'm like, I hope that has more more flow on for them. That'd be awesome. That's so good. Oh, my gosh. Thank you both so much. And also thank you to our fourth um, 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 podcast guest. Yay. It's really lovely to have you here. Yay. <laughs> and, uh, and... This is the second uh, Better Off Red podcast in which uh, my daughters have appeared in. So. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's very good. Thank you so much. And I will see you soon. Okay, this is a freestyling exercise. Um, what I thought you could do is play either Tukiro or Brennavan's um, sound in your headphones and record yourself composing along to it. So it's that simple. What happens when you have rain or ripping paper as a backbeat? Um, at the end of this um, series of conversations, we're hoping to make an episode um, showcasing the responses to these exercises. And maybe you'd be willing to share your exercises for this um, showcase. You can leave your recordings or links or to recordings in the comments on our website which is better-red.com um, better or you can email them to me at betterrednz at gmail.com so that's better r-e-a-d-n-z at gmail.com um, and if you've got any questions you could email me there I'd love to hear from you okay thank you so much <laughs>